1: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe.
2: You're listening to Mavs Sports Take. Whether it's breaking news or sports business, this is your home for unmuzzled and unconventional sports talk. With assistant general manager, director of player personnel, and three time world champion on his resume, David Turner has a thing or two to teach you about pro football. At his side is Ryan Roberts, former college football player football coach, and NFL Draft Bible's director of scouting. Together, they're here to take you on a deep dive into what goes on in the world of sports. Ryan and David, take it away.
3: Welcome, everyone. We are here back. Mad sports take episode 17 your weekly podcast for sports business and more we've seen a lot of adversity through the 2020 season and tonight me and David are going unmuzzled to talk about college football professional football and sports as a business we are looking from the wide scope of viewing Ryan Roberts here I got Mr. David Turner with me tonight he's all cuddled up if you are live with us right now on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. You can see Mr. David Turner is all cuddled up because he is, unfortunately, on the injured reserve at the moment. But, David, no matter what, week in and week out, you are here, we are here, we are unmuzzled as always, my friend. How excited are we? How are
1: we doing? We're pumped up. You know, again, it's great to be back on another math Sports Take here. Ryan and David bringing it to you Unmuzzled. We're going to tell you the unbridled truth about a lot of stuff that you might be on your mind. It's going on in college football, pro football, and in the business of football, all the way or sports, actually, all the way around. So we're excited for tonight. Just Ryan and I, no guests, just getting after it. Just a terrible twosome that we, got, we are going to let you all know how it is. I am on the couch tonight you know legs up propped trying to keep the pain away but you know we'll get through this one and uh you know just take me up coach i'm in <laughs>
3: david's a, david's a warrior on the gridiron off the gr- off the gridiron in on the film couch. room <laughs> on the couch wherever it is david turner is ready to go as you can see we appreciate everybody for tuning in with us again if you are live with us we go live every tuesday night 8:30 eastern time the podcast will be released on your favorite podcast platform at 12 o'clock Eastern time on Wednesdays. Thank you all. And as always, if you are with us for the first time, we take live questions all night, baby. So pump them in to the chat and we will be, for sh- uh, we'll be sure to cover it at some point. We also have our little mailbag section at the end where we get to some live questions. So anytime, any points, throw it into the chat. We would love to discuss with you folks. So usually the format of this show goes, we'll have an interview. We don't have an interview tonight. We'll maybe do some pickups. We're not doing that tonight either. You know what we're doing? We're getting down to the nitty gritty of (laughs) the sports world, of the NFL and college football worlds specifically. Before we do, have you ever wondered how the salary cap works and how some teams are better at playing the salary cap than others? Come join us at Friday Night Scout School this Friday to learn how to manage and operate under the cap as you can't pay all, the, uh, as you can't pay everyone, so join us at Friday night to learn about the salary cap. Whether you're a player, agent, or coach, you should tune in to educate yourself how teams look at the cap. That is Friday night scout school this Friday, nine o'clock Eastern Time. David, I don't want to, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag too much on the seminar. What they're going to get ultimately out of that, but just from a scouting perspective. How important is it for you to be in the front office of an NFL, CFL, arena league team to understand the salary cap and how to potentially manipulate it for a team?
1: Well, it's a key strategy. I mean, in in any league that has a cap and you're operating under the cap, because you can't pay everyone, you know, so you have to know how to percentage it. You have to know what, what other teams are using uh, as markers in the cap. So when you're up and you're negotiating against a certain team, against, uh, you know, even a free agency, if you don't know how to use the salary cap properly, you'll possibly overpay You'll get suckered into believing someone's going to pay too much when you don't know their salary cap, you know, situation, all sorts of little things that come into play. And there's a lot of little tricks of the trade here. So for Friday night, we're going to go into uh, a few little models, a few little things, talk about some a few specific teams. Um, in general to see why they're so good at it and why and why they are successful in the salary cap model, whereas other teams constantly seem to fail and they wind up with a lot of dead cap money space where they're paying these players a bunch of money but they're not getting production out. of right,
3: Awesome. And again, Friday night, 9 o'clock Eastern time. Make sure to sign up today at NFLDraftBible.com. We're getting into some college football news. We're getting into some NFL news It's almost like a recap show to a degree, because we're talking about the hot issues in college football that have played the season, played the season, the NFL season. There's a lot of issues that people have been working through during the COVID pandemic and everything that is brought with it, difficulties. But we want to talk about a few of those things, and we need to. We're going to put our our, uh, our our fortune teller hats on, I guess. We're going to get our crystal balls out. We're going to try to predict maybe a little bit of the future here. What is the next step for a lot of these? Inconsistencies and difficulties. So first and foremost, we're going to college football. We're going to talk about the cancellation of games that we've seen week in and week out. And conferences are restructuring now. I just talked about today on Locked On Irish that due to some uh, to to some scheduling conflicts, net, two weeks from now, Notre Dame was scheduled to have a makeup game against Wake Forest. Some of those games are completely canceled. So Notre Dame has already clinched the ACC championship game without even playing in two weeks against Wake Forest. We see week in in and week out the Big Ten having to cancel games. The SEC having to cancel some games. ACC, all these conferences are canceling games. The Big Ten and Pac-12 were very reluctant to even play football. So is the MAC. The FCS and Division II levels, they're like, no, we're pushing everything to the spring. There is a whole lot of uh, scheduling that's been happening and it's been quick. We saw BYU. They're like, oh, BYU, play Cal this weekend, right? Like such a quick turnaround and all these scheduling issues. David, let's take it off from this perspective. I didn't even mention the all-star game format getting completely shook, right? With the East-West Shrine game getting canceled and NFLPA ball going full virtual. Is the college gridiron showcase the number two college all-star game this year after the senior bowl? Like it might be. Who knows? But we're looking at all these. My question is, how do you think that college football has handled all, everything going on, the scheduling issues amongst all the insanity? What do you think that do you think they've done a good job? Is basically what I'm asking here.
1: You know, I think that college football is 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 a shit show, and it's absolutely uh, you know complete debauchery of what it could have been if there was a uh, NC two A governing board that would have taken control and said, listen, this is what we're going to do. Everybody's going to get on on the same page in this situation. But by allowing each individual conference to kind of set their own rules and do their own thing, it's created a complete mess. And now you have teams like, was it Ohio State might not play enough games to be bowl eligible or whatever to be in the college playoff system. Now they would have to redo the whole system formatting, to make sure that, you know, Ohio State gets in because they're one of the premier teams and, you know, they got to have them in or ratings are going to go down. And, you know, and it just becomes, again, it wasn't, it was mismanaged from the very beginning and we see the ripple effects of that mismanagement continue through even now the later stages of some of these seasons by not thinking things all the way through, not only like how to handle bowl season not only how to handle playoffs and things like that but not only like let's let's take it a, a layer further peel back it even further by granting every single senior an extra or every single person in college football an extra year of eligibility that ripple effect is going to be 3 to 4 years down the line on recruiting and it's going to affect the next 3 to 4 recruiting cycles because all these kids have an ability to stay in school longer, finish out a degree, and you and their scholarships are still valid. So now, usually, you know, most players get four—you know, four years to go. They can take a redshirt year; that's five. If they get injured, they get a six-year. Well, now they have an automatic six-year. So you have players that can actually stay in school longer, and yes, you're going to still see juniors come out that you know, want to come out that have the talent to come out, but let's talk about that, that six years or fifth year senior. That's like, well, if I stay an extra year, I can finish out my, uh, my, my graduate degree. It's on scholarship. I know I'm not going to go to the pros and play. So why not stick it out and, and, you know, get this degree for free and finish getting grad, you know, getting it done. So, You know, there's so many layers that I don't think the NC2A thought about when they started making these rules and doing things. Uh, They just kind of went with maybe the most popular thing that they could sell in a press conference without really thinking about all the repercussions all the way through the the system. And I don't think college football has handled, you know, all the outbreaks and everything 100% great. I know Rick would disagree with me and others would (laughs) disagree with me. But when you have these hot spots like Texas was very early on, you know, or was it Baylor had to cancel like three or four games, right? Away, and Houston couldn't get on the field for a month because of all the outbreaks. It's like, how do you then just say, okay, we're going to start it up and and get it going? I mean, the, the health and the welfare of these young men, I mean, we really got to stop fooling ourselves is not what they're thinking about. It's about the profitability of a sport on the field and they mask it under a collegiate format so they don't have to pay the players. So, you know, it's, for me, it's absolutely a, just a travesty of what they're trying to pull off in, in, you know, underneath this cloud of, um, scholarships and things when that's really not, I mean, all they care about is getting the games on film, on TV to pay for, you know, pay for school, which again, as a business, that's been their business model. that has been lucrative for so many years that that's what they, you know, they were. You know, coupled into and look if they get the vaccine, the vaccine's effective as they're saying, and we could probably get back to that model next year. But for this year, I truly feel it was an epic fail.
3: Yeah, uh, and, and I agree. I, I would agree more. I know Rick is kind of a pushback on like the professional level, but I would 100% agree if, for, as far as college football is concerned. They've mismanaged. A lot of things like we we saw the Big Ten and Pac-12 not want to play right and then they basically got <clears throat> they basically got pushed to to wanting to play right like the the higher-ups the leadership is like we're not playing college football and then you know a lot of the players have that pushback specifically in the Big Ten I think of that petition that's going around and they're basically running the out you know running the the business of if we're going to pay if we're going to play and there's a lot of I think there was a lot of mishandlings to say the least and we've seen a lot of opt outs. In effect to that before the season, during the season, there was, and this is from a scouting perspective now, David, because I want to take us there because so it's not even the, just like, oh, we can throw all these guys into a bucket and say they're all the opt-out guys. So we need to like take it for like we had different layers of opting out, right? Before the season, Micah Parsons from Penn State decides when all the all the craziness is happening, right? He's like, I'm good. Jamar Chase from LSU, I'm cool. Tyler Shelvin from LSU. I'm fine. I don't I don't need to play football this year, right? Like, and and I didn't blame him. I I couldn't blame any of them. So let's take this from a scouting perspective now, David. A junior that is now draft eligible, that is only that has had maybe two great years of tape, but now is missing that third year. And maybe he's only 20 years old, and there's a little bit more of a projection. How much of a risk is a player like that taking? And from a scouting perspective, are you knocking a player for only having one to two years on tape and not being to the level that you would like to see physically coming out of college now? I think this year, you can't, like
1: any business decision, right, Brian? Or Ryan, you can't make a business decision on emotion. You have to take the emotion out of it. And this year, with the shortened seasons, the very little tape that's uh, being exposed for everybody to digest and look at, you better know you're in the top 150 if you're a junior and coming out. If you're not in the top 150 and you're a junior, you need to go back. And that's just the reality of it. I mean, I would say that every year. But if you're that with that scenario you just said, a 20-year-old who you know has played two good years, if you can't guarantee you're in the top 150 top 3 rounds of this year's NFL draft, you need to go back. You need to make you need to hope there's more normalcy next year with you know the vaccines and things coming forward and it looks better next year going and you have a full off season and everything is is back on track. Where scouts could do their jobs, they can come in, do all the research on you, they can talk to everybody about you. Because if you're coming out and you don't have a firm grasp on being a top 150 athlete and you leave playing experience on the table and that opportunity to go back and and get your stock up, then you're really making a poor business decision. I mean, right. you really are. It's, and that's like, well, I, you know, I should have been able to come out. I should have, I should, 2020 is full of shouldas, wouldas, and couldas. But don't leave this woulda, coulda on your table where you could go back and improve your draft stock. I, I mean, the reality of this situation for a lot of these young men that are thinking about coming out is go back. It's right. too much of an uncertain year. Even seniors that were rewarded this extra year should think about I, it. They should think about it. They should really spend ten days after the season, tune everybody out, get who their core is around them, their parents, their uh, whoever their core is. Not an agent, not people that have a vested interest in you making the decision of coming out, but some people that don't have vested interest, in, and then make the decision then, because. If you're if you don't take advantage of this extra year and what's the opportunity in front of you to get better at your craft, get stronger, and have some normalcy of what a season could look like next year for you, then you're really hurting your draft stock. Your draft stock you got to understand these these scouts have not been on campus, right? They have not been doing all they have not gotten all the information they normally would get. So they're going to be some holes in in these reports. They're going to do their best jobs to do everything. They're going to do, you know, they're professionals, but it's not like normal. And if you can't say I'm a top 50 guy, why come out? You're not being forced to. Yeah. You're healthy, go back.
3: And David, to that point, right? So I'm talking specifically from a scouting perspective. How scary is it for a person that's been in those scouting rooms to pound a table for a kid? that is maybe a little more projection than you might be used to, right? Because like obviously there's always projection to the evaluation, but I feel like this year more than ever, some scouts are going to have to bet a whole lot more on that projection and that belief in the coaching staff around you. I feel like it's a little nerve-wracking to have to pound the table for something that isn't as tangible as maybe it is usually.
1: The pounding is going to be very soft this year. And it's not, you're not going to see guys stand on the table. I absolutely got to have this guy. Everything they say about him at school is wonderful. Everything they do, you know, it's just all they do is rave about this kid. Like those poundings are going to be softer this year. There's no doubt about it. They just haven't had the person to person conversations, looking in a coach's eyes as he's talked about a kid, Uh, been around the program to see him practice, been around the program. To see and talk to the weight coach and talk to the you know everybody that you usually do on a school visit so those poundings are going to be a lot softer than they would be in the years past and therefore that's why as a kid making a business decision you have to think about that you know they haven't been able to do all the research so they're bringing a product to the market that isn't well tested in their eyes so they can't go and say this is got my stamp of approval on it I'm gonna go on the table for them. If you have the talent and you can go back, I, I firmly believe in taking advantage of this extra year no matter what year you are. If you're a guy who they that they have some criticism and they say, no, you're a projection seventh-round pick, there should be no way you come out because even right. next year, you're going to be a projection seventh-round pick. No and matter what. It's going no to be on what. the table.
3: That's going to yeah, be on the table for you.
1: It's going to be on the table. So you're not worsening your chances of not getting drafted next year, but you could be heightening it. Now, if they go, you're a projection fourth-round pick. Should I? Should you come out? You got to do the math. And what I say by do the math is do the math this way. How many players at your position do, like, Todd McShay and these talking heads have above you? Mm-hmm. If if they have, say, 12 players above you at any of your positions, you have to seriously can think think about coming out because you you really want to be in the top 10. If you can't right. make it to the top 10, then why not go back? There's only 256 or 257 draft picks, guys. So what I'm saying is if you're not in that top 150, And you're the bottom end of that one hundred, that lower one hundred. Why would you go back? Why wouldn't you take an opportunity of going back and improving your draft stock to crack it? Because here's the thing: you're not getting any worse, so you're still going to be in the bottom one hundred next year. If you don't get any better, you're going to be in the bottom. You're not going to get worse, so you're going to be in the bottom one hundred. You can only do what's better for you and get better. And that's just being a scout talking to you kids right now, right? Your parents and everybody Listen up. If you're the bottom 100, you can only do better by yourself by going back.
3: Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's, and that's some free advice from a person that's been in those, in those shoes. That's been in the background. That's been in the front office for 18 years professionally. So I would advise any player or parent, like David said, decision-maker in a young man's life that's enduring that process to take that. And if you want a further evaluation, go to Maverick Sports Consulting and, and get that scouting report done, right? See what a N- former NFL scout thinks of your game. Submit your paperwork to the NFL advisory board after the season. Get the right people around you. I, I have people that always – I have players all the time, David, that message me and they just say, what do you think of me, right? And I'll tell them what I think if I've seen them. I'll I'll be honest with them. But I'll also say, but you also have to consider, hey, this year's class, it might be this at your position group, right? Kind of like what you were just saying. You want to be in that top 10. Like, hey, this year's linebacker group is phenomenal. So if you're not, if you're not to that level this year, take the advantage. Even if I like your game, that doesn't necessarily mean that one, Um, The NFL talking heads that David's talking about, those are the ones that really matter in that conversation. But two, I can't project you against the class because I can tell you this class is great. I think you're very good. I might even have this round grade on you potentially, but that is a raw grade. That's not saying you're going to be drafted in the third round because I have a third round grade on you. What's the quality of this linebacker group? Some guys might get pushed back. It's It's just the reality of the situation. So I feel like there's a lot of things to understand and consider and that's going to take me in to the next group. Because I said that there were layers to these opt-outs, right? Yep. So The next opt-outs I want to talk about. Harris Ford from Pittsburgh, Samuel Cosby from Texas as a couple examples, guys that have chosen to opt it out during the season. I think this is the smartest group. I think this is absolutely the smartest group. They got their film. They got their 2021 game, uh 2020, sorry, 2021 NFL draft, 2020 college season game tape. University of Texas Pittsburgh they weren't having the season they want they're like I have my six or seven games or whatever it is now I'm done I I did what I had promised we I'm sure they probably had a conversation with their coaches before the season if they were going to even opt out before the year but they got their games and for me David and I want to hear your opinion on this that's the smartest group in this opt-out situation for me and that's for
1: me and they are different on it because you know and, and again it's not a bad difference it's just again Take everybody listening, take this as what you get in a draft room. You get two different opinions on the same thing. Okay. Either one of us could be right. It's just how we're going to be in the draft room debating it. Okay. Ryan sees it as a smart decision. I think it's a quitter's mentality because you have to.
3: Oh, don't do that. That's so old fashioned, David. Don't do that. That's like the the old man on the couch with a broken. Listen to Twitter verse.
1: Listen to Twitter verse. It's a, it's a quitter's mentality because you went into the season knowing you were going to have to face adversity, knowing that this was going to be in this way. You knew that this was coming in. Then you told the team, you can count on me and that I'm going to be here. I'm going to show up, coach. I'm going to be there for you. And then once you got what you needed, you quit and you went home. Now, it's not to me, it's not the same as not playing in a bowl game because for me, in a bowl game, You've you've done everything through the course of your career, and you're protecting your event your advantage in your investment for yourself in the bowl game. I Is totally, there
3: going to be bowl games this year, though? Is there going to be? But bowl hold on, games? hold on.
1: But, but I'm saying, I'm, a, I'm, a I'm saying mentality wise, mentality wise. I see those like when Christian McCaffrey sat out. I didn't mark him down for it because I'm like, you know what? You're protecting your investment at this point. Do do what you got to do for you. You've given the university, you know, all you got for the year, the years you were there. But in this situation where you're quitting mid-season, you're st- you, you knew this season was going to be adversity. You knew this season wasn't going to be good. I mean, there was nothing pre-season that said this was going to be an awesome year for anybody involved. And you still decided to show up and say, Coach, you can count on me. Now you quit halfway through the season because it's not going your way. That's just a Honestly, that's not a mature mentality for me. And as a, as an evaluator, as a decision maker that I've been, if I had a kid that played all year and I had a kid that quit halfway through the year and they were neck and neck in grades, you know the kid that played the whole year out would be my guy. The other kid, I would let him go somewhere else and be somebody else's headache.
3: Wow. Wow. That was not the response I was thinking about, man. Cause like you are. So if you haven't seen the morning show on NFL draft Bible, Dr. David is always, <laughs> you got to look out for yourself. It's, it's a scary world. The COVID running rampant. Right. And you're, I can't pass judgment on these kids. Cause one, that's just on the surface saying like they quit just for their selfishness. Right. But like, is there something behind the scene? Cause like JC Horn from South Carolina, right. He's had a string of COVID cases that has ran through his through his family recently. So that was part of the deal. And then his head coach got fired. I feel like it's just, there's a lot more under the surface maybe than we're seeing for some guys. That's all I'm saying.
1: Every story is individual. Every story is individual, Ryan. You're right. And every story would have to be taken and researched why their decision was it is, but I'm saying on the surface, just looking on the surface and a surface view from it for me is like, these are guys that got what they needed, selfishly got what they needed and then bounced out. and, that's not the mentality. Because in any NFL season, there's going to be adversity. I mean, look how many teams like right now. The NFC West or NFC East. I mean, the Giants are leading with four wins. How easy could have their players have cashed it in when they only had one win? Now, you know, Joe and the the team over there, the coaching staff over there, has got them to win three in a row, and they're leading the NFC East. Like it or don't like it. One of those teams is going to the playoffs and right now the G men are on the roll and it could wind up being them by the end of the year. And Hey, let's just be honest. They could go there with six wins and be 10 losses and be the division winner and go to the playoffs. Okay. It's a likelihood. If you look at all the NFC East, you know, schedules coming up, I'm not surprised if, if it's a five or six game win team that takes that whole division and goes to the playoffs and then you got teams like the Bears that went five and, or what five and one and now they're like you know five and six or five and
3: six yeah, yeah. Like that. and yeah. they're probably
1: gonna end up getting fired, you know so it's it's just it's just what it is and that's why I'm saying like, the adversity hits you got to know your locker rooms is behind you and on the surface, the kids that are taking this opportunity to opt out midseason, are show are showing on the surface, you know, a selfish character.
3: Okay. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Multiple perspectives. Like David said, it's an individual by individual base. I want to touch base on the last subgroup of this conversation, right? Sure. So a lot of small school kids, their season got pushed to the spring. Yes. We talked about the division two kids, the FCS kids, football championship subdivision kids. So they had a decision. Right. So if they play in the spring with the January 18th deadline still intact, they had, if they're going to play in the spring, you're not in the 2021 NFL draft, which is a little unfair, in my opinion. I I, I know, understand why they're sticking to it because that's a really tough turnaround. We've talked about that a bunch. That transition from playing and then only a couple months later, you're playing in the NFL and a training camp potentially. Like I get why they are staying packed to that January 18th deadline. So now there's some kids who have opted out of the spring season in order to prepare for the season. And these are smaller school players. Okay? So yeah. I'm talking about guys like Chris Garrett from Concordia, who I know John talked about a little bit on the on the morning show one time. He had 36 and a half sacks in three years at Concordia. 15 t- forced fumbles. Talented football player. Absolutely. Um, uh, but he's an undersized Division II kid. And then a guy like Jaquan Hardy, who I like, is a Tiffin running back who averaged – Eight yards of carry last year, over 1,500 yards, really tough physical, low center of gravity runner. But now these kids are that those two specifically are division two kids. We had Spencer Brown that was on a couple weeks ago, the Northern Iowa kid who opted out of the season, but he, you know, had a third round grade from Blesto so going into the year. He's going to the senior ball. So his decision's a little differently than from those guys. But David, we already talked about it a little bit about taking that opportunity. These division two kids, like, are they going to get an all-star invite? Are they going to go to the combine? I feel like, I feel like that's a very near nearsighted decision and probably a decision, like you said, probably don't have the absolutely right people around them to give them the, the best perspective on whether they should return or not.
1: You know, and here's, and again, this is, Last year, I think in our our draft analysis after the draft, our post draft analysis, we saw only six FCS kids get drafted, and I believe the year before there was sixteen or something like that. And that it was in the teens, it was something. Yeah, like that, it Yeah, it was in the teens. It was there. So you know, you saw a major drop off, and it's not a place where the NFL is showing that they're shopping for a great deal. So. I think any of those smaller school kids really should should have taken the opportunity to go back to school, play, and and not opt out because it's too big of a stretch that you're gonna get drafted, you know, in a normal year, to say you're one of the top sixteen FCS or Division II school kids that are gonna get and then in last year when we saw and here and, and you know, here's a factor. I don't know if the Hula Bowl is playing. I don't. I don't know. I haven't seen an update from the. I Hula think.
3: Bowl. I think they are playing.
1: Okay, I haven't seen an update, so we'll see what goes on there. The Gridiron Classic is going, from what I understand, yep. and the Senior Bowl is going. Yep. So let's just say there's two. We'll say Hawaii says no, you're not playing. Local local people out there are like no, you're not playing. So if there's only two places to get verified measurables and guarantee that you are going to get verified measurables and seen, and you're a smaller school kid, how do you get this? How do you think you're going to generate hype, generate interest in yourself for your draft stock to go up? Because usually those guys would go to the NFLPA Bowl or go to the East West Rhine game, get a little hype, and then maybe there's an injury at Senior Bowl, and then they show up at Senior Bowl, and they have two solid good weeks. They have good workouts. They get you know a late invite to the combine, whatever. And like there's ways to generate your your hype and generate you know that kind of um, upward movement of the draft boards. Right? This year, mm-hmm. it those those spots are so coveted, and the big school kids are going to take them. And it's like, why? How are you going to motivate and move your draft stock up? I don't see it. I don't see the avenue to do it. Back when I was scouting, obviously you've heard me t- tell the story of Nathan Shepard out of you know Fort Hayes State, and he was a guy that went to the Senior Bowl. He had a dominated. great two. Yeah, he dominated. Had a great two days before he broke his hand at practice, but he still stuck around at the Senior Bowl. He still did interviews. He still stayed you know there so scouts could get to know him and talk to him. And you know when he did all his. Post draft stuff. He did it with a cast on, and you know it was he did he did what he could do, and he moved his draft stock up the board. I just don't see those opportunities right now, and I'm, I'm I would say to all these kids, play your spring, play next fall, rack up the stats, give these scouts every opportunity to do their homework on you, and just go 2022 draft class.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think that's wise, too. I think we're definitely on the same wavelength there because like, I mean, all due respect to some of those kids. Right. They're a little bit of a long shot because they might not have the measurables. They have the the the, the um, you know, the the old adage, the uh, the level of competition concerns like they're It's going to be there. So enjoy it, man. Because like, I, I mean, I wish I was still playing football, you know, like enjoy playing football as long as you can. The best way to optimize you playing football as long as you can, if you only get a cup of coffee in the NFL, hey, at least you have that final year that was your year, you know? Because, I mean, everybody remembers their last year. Everybody remembers their last football game, you know? Like, I can remember every single play from the last football game I played in, and I tried well, to play as long as I could, you know? And, so. and you graduate,
1: you got your degree, you might even have a master's degree in something, or at least started on your master's degree, because, hey, Joe Montana and Jerry Rice got cut, okay? Okay there's a last game for everybody and your post college or your post playing career is going to start somewhere and the more the more you prepare for it while you're in college the better su- you're set up for success once you get done whatever it is so when it's your last pro bowl appearance or you know what, your last college game, having your education and all the pieces of paper you can collect while you're there. And if they're paying for it because you're on scholarship, good God, do it. Be a smart business decision person right now and recognize setting yourself up for success isn't just for success in the NFL. It's setting yourself up for success after you're done playing and making sure you can make maximize your opportunities when you're done playing. And having all these degrees and things set up right now where they will pay for it is a smart business decision for you in the long run.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. So we have a couple other topics we want to talk briefly on for college. Well, we wanted to spend a whole lot of time with the opt-out situation because we're coming from a scouting perspective a little bit there. So we definitely wanted to take a lot of time there. couple teams that have really been struggling this year, dealing with a lot of opt-outs, a lot of unfortunate situations. We're talking about Penn State, who just got their first victory. Now one in five they beat Michigan. Anytime you beat Michigan, you're good in my book. So I'm a fan of Penn <laughs> State right now. But so, Ryan has
1: a bumper sticker that says, "My favorite team is uh, Notre Dame and anybody playing Michigan."
3: Hey, hey, where's where's the, where's the patch? There it is. There's the ND. If you're live with us right now, you see the ND, baby. I wear it loud and proud on this show. Locked on Irish every day. Come ta- come tune into your favorite podcast provider. It's great show. <laughs> promise it's a wonderful show. But yes, a, State, no, I'm not
1: pious, I'm just the host, but it was a wonderful show. <laughs> it,
3: it, it was it was a slight plug there. It was a very easy plug. Go, look too, okay? want, it's a great go show. Man. It's a great show. Me and Joe D Leon, we do a great job. If i if I do say so myself, Joe does a great job. I'm along for the ride. So <laughs> locked on Irish talking about you can understand my distaste. Disdain? I don't know the disdain, word. That. You the, have disdain, disdain for Michigan. Yes. My, I have disdain for the University of Michigan. So they lost to Penn State. Penn State got up on the victory. Before the year, Penn State suffered the opt-out of Micah Parsons. We already touched on a little bit. Who's they also fantastic. Church, who is fantastic. The best defensive player in the draft, in my opinion.
1: No, this guy talent, could be Pat there. Willis, Ray Ray Lewis. I mean, this kid's fantastic.
3: He could do anything, man. He came in as a five-star defensive end recruit. So that tells you the type of athlete and the roles that he could potentially play. People keep wanting to label him, David. Is he a three-four outside linebacker? Is he a middle linebacker? Is he a Sam? Like, dude, he is a dynamic second-level defender. If you want to slap a label on him, fine. He's a Sam backer that can play some under fronts like that. Put him on ball at times. I don't care, dude. But now <laughs> I know is I can do so many things with a Micah Parsons. Sorry, little little tangent there. So they lost Micah Parsons before the season, and then Journey Brown, of course, unfortunately. You know, yeah. stuff. Uh, they they found the heart uh, the heart condition that he had while testing for everything going on. So unfortunately, he had to retire from football. So your best offensive, well, second best offensive player Pat Fryermuth might have something to say about that. But probably your most dynamic offensive player, Journey Brown, not in the season. And then your absolute best football player on both sides of the ball and the face of your defense, Micah Parsons, before the season. So obviously, Penn State's a little behind the eight ball. And they came out, and they look terrible. They've had some injuries at running back outside of Journey Brown. It has not been a good day for Penn State, except for Michigan. So, hey, there's that. LSU is the other one. We expected this one. At least I expected this one, right? They lost 20 of 22 starters or something like that. Like, I understand it's LSU. They recruit. They're going to be fine eventually. But, like, that's a whole lot of turnover in one season, man. Like, that is insane. I've never heard of that before. Like, 20, yeah. I, I knew as soon as Odell Beckham started dabbing them up with, you know, hundreds after the national championship game, there was something that was going to happen there anyway. Some uh, some some opt outs had to happen there. Some some early declarations had to happen. So, early
1: declarations. Early, yeah. Like
3: early that. declaration. Yes. Yeah. They just took the money early and they were out of here. It's all good. So those are the two teams that are really struggling. LSU, man, bad. They look bad. They have they have a couple of nice players like they always will. Jacoby Stevens, safety slash linebacker, a little bit of a hybrid player. They got the Terrace Marshall Jr. who actually just opted out as well. The wide receiver had, has had a big time season for LSU. But a couple of teams that have really been been um, suffering huge losses. And I think that they are just a couple examples here of how COVID has affected some people in the short term. I'm sure they'll be fine in the long term. But just a couple of quick examples there for you of the aftermath of what has been the pandemic and cancellation of football games opt-outs like it's just been an entire mess one thing that i want to touch on ball games right what's the best tradition in football in college football the ball game season baby like i'm that's just i, I mean i remember that that commercial that used to play right it had like the christmas music in the background and it, oh yeah uh, highlighting the ball season like that was the best time of the year david are there gonna be ball games this year do you have an answer to that
1: I don't I, I, I mean you like this is part of the crystal ball start of the show, right? Like this is where right. we're rubbing the crystal ball forecasting. And like we like we touched on a little bit earlier with the Ohio State not even knowing if they'll be eligible because they don't know if they played enough games and and you know, that whole scenario. And then, you know, how do the Pac twelve have eligible play uh Bowl game teams with them starting late, and now they're canceling a lot of games. And and as you said, they're trying to schedule games uh, on the fly, week in and week out, just to maybe meet these criteria that you know would make them bowl eligible and stuff. It's such a patch. Patchwell quilt is that what they're called or whatever? It's Patch, just
3: like, patchwork, patchwork. Yeah, patchwork mm-hmm. quilt. Let's like call it, it shit show, shit show. That shit works.
1: show. It's a yeah, it's a shit show. It's a mess. It's an absolutely absolute mess of trying to figure it out. I mean, my best guess is that you might have like four or five bowl games, and that like that's just, I mean, it might be six, and that's gonna be it. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, with COVID spiking, look at what just happened in Santa Clara County. The local government said we are canceling any kind of contact sports in our county, which forced the Niners to leave and Stanford to leave to go play their games. They are out of it. I mean, the Niners are coming down here to Arizona. They're going to play their next two games. I think it's in Glendale. Uh, The schedule permits them to be in Glendale playing. And then Stanford, I don't, I don't remember. I can't recall where they're going, but they're getting out of – they got to get out of California, too, to play their games. So, right. you know, how, do, how does the Rose Bowl be played? How does the granddaddy right. of them all get played if the local government isn't allowing other things to happen and stuff? So, you know, right now we're seeing with these record numbers of COVID going up, and if they continue to spike after the Christmas season and, and get even worse – Will we see bowl games? I think it's going to be very hard to pull off bowl games. Um, and if the, if you do see bowl games, I think you're going to see a bubble scenario where the teams come down to whatever market they are almost 10 days in advance, bubble it up, and then play the game so there's no jeopardy of that game getting canceled. Uh, like we're seeing with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Ravens. I mean, the ding ding has been pushed back. almost freaking 10 days now to get it played yeah but but yeah denver can play without a quarterback so you know it's just like it's just like you know to not to save from that scenario happening you would have to start creating micro bubbles uh to to safeguard you know from to safeguard the game let's not get it twisted i wasn't about to say safeguard the kids it's to (laughs) safeguard the game
3: right Right, and it's so funny, right? Like the Steelers-Ravens rivalry that gets so much viewership, like they can move that game over a little bit, but you're talking about the Denver Broncos game. Like they had to play with their practice squad wide receiver who was a former college quarterback.
1: Yeah, and, and I love Jerry, Clint- Jerry Jones' stupid comment today where or where he was like, oh, there's no different than us playing with our seventh-round pick at quarterback. I'm like, I'm sorry. Your seventh-round pick has, is a quarterback who's been in the quarterback room, who's taken some quarterback reps, not the practice squad kid who stopped playing quarterback his junior year in college.
3: David, I wanted to punch myself in the face when I saw that. I wanted to punch Jerry Jones in the face and then punch myself in the face when I saw that comment. I could not believe that he said that. I could not believe it. I mean, I could believe it because it's Jerry Jones, right? Like he's loose-lipped. He's going to say stuff once in a while. Like I could believe it. But at the same time, I was like, he really, he just said that. He just said that his quarterback is on the same level as their practice squad. Why well, receiver that goes that into it? his
1: drafting strategy, because obviously he didn't draft a, a guy good enough to you know, play quarterback. He maybe oh, the I kid that.
3: I'm
1: uh, just like, you know, I mean, come on, Jerry. You want to talk about your drafting strategy? It's not like your team's, you know, laid in with a bunch of freaking, you know, uh, great players sitting over there. So you want to talk, you know, if you're drafting a quarterback in the seventh round, should we play receiver somewhere? You know, that. Let's talk about your draft strategy there. Well,
2: so well,
3: Jer- Jerry, come hit up the draft Bible, man. I could have told you that Ben DiNucci should not have been drafted to start with. We could have started there with you, man. We could have started there with you. And then, I, I you know, leading up to the game, everyone's like, when, when DiNucci had to play, like, oh, DiNucci's a really nice developmental player. He's going to be a good player. One game, dude, that's all it lasts. And they're like, all right, see you again. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that, see you. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: you <laughs> know. I don't know where you're, uh, and where's he been since flipping pizza pies in the freaking kitchen? Who knows? Dude,
3: they they went with former AAF great Garrett Gilbert the next game after Ben DiNucci. Like that's that sums up what Ben DiNucci showed them in their first game against the Eagles, which well, should have been a winnable game, but because the Eagles are terrible, we can spend. I mean, a whole everybody's hour. beat the
1: Eagles this year.
3: Oh my God, the Eagles are so bad. I can't even, David. Uh, I really feel like we need to touch on that one time. Actually, I think we are touching on it because I think I put it on the script for tonight. So, so hold that right. we might we'll get hold that. that. We'll hold that. We'll hold that. Before we get to the NFL news, first live question of the day. Appreciate Danny Football 59 for throwing this one. And I'll answer this one, David. because it's 2021 NFL draft specific. What order do these three come off the board? Predictive here. Sean Wade, cornerback from Ohio State. Eric Stokes, cornerback from Georgia. Darian Kendrick, cornerback from Clemson, and uh, Tyson Campbell, cornerback from Georgia as well. So you we got two Georgia corners. I've been on the Eric Stokes I was going to say, I can bit.
1: predict your order here. I can predict your predict order it. here. No, no,
3: do that. Let, let's have fun. Predict I'll it, bet guys. you I can
1: predict because I've heard you talk enough about this. I'm going to say you're going to go Stokes first, Wade second, Campbell,
3: and then Kendrick. You're close. You're close. I was going to say <laughs> you were very close. Uh, Eric Stokes, number one. I'm still going to go with Sean Wade. I know Sean Wade's had some struggles with Ohio State this year, but he's still talented, man. Like I can see him getting it turned around. He's an athletic piece that can play at multiple spots on the deep on the defense on the back end. I still like Sean Wade to a degree. Darian Kendrick would actually be my third. Because I'm oh, not really? a Tyson Campbell guy. Yeah, Derry Kendricks, he's, he's got some skills, man. Clemson kid. I'm, Clemson, I feel like, has a guy every year now. You know, they, they yeah, they,
1: they're doing a really good so. job with that position, recruiting and developing that position. They're doing a good job.
3: Yeah, we, we saw Mullen come out a couple years ago. We saw A.J. Terrell in the first round last year. I think I, I think Kendricks got a little something to him. I think he's more of an early day two type of player, but I still like him. I, I definitely do still like him. So throw him out there. I'm not there with Tyson Campbell, even though he's got flashes. He looks the part, man. He's long. He's athletic. Don't think I, love he I love his length. I love
1: his length. Yeah. I love his length.
3: That dude's a legit 6'1 and a half, dude, Like he's and he's got long arms. Like He's got length for days, just, just not there yet. He's a guy that coming back a year I think is going to do a lot for him, be a fourth-year player, and really take that next step. I think that he can do it. So um, that would be my order for that one. Uh, Danny, appreciate you throwing in the chat. Anybody else that's listening? We have a few guys still in the chat. Please throw in questions. We'll take them as we go. We have some live questions that we want to get to at the end as well. Before we do, quick promo read for you. As a player, are you ready for the interview process that is heading your way? Can you anticipate what kind of questions the decision makers are going to ask you? At Maverick Sports Consulting, we are here to help you prepare you for your upcoming job interview and make sure you're ready to take full advantage of these opportunities in front of you. You don't want to go into the process without coaching as there are critical interviews to land on and opportunities we've been dreaming of your entire life. Visit MaverickSportsConsulting.com to sign up for your coaching sessions with Mr. David Turner and the Maverick Sports Club.
1: And again, um, that one really quick, guys. Seriously, this year's interview process, you don't want to make a misstep. You don't want to have miscommunication in your story. Talk Telling your story in a, in a very firm and strong and concise way and in, in communicating to these decision makers will really be the difference this year when going into negotiation or going into the draft process and everything. Uh, we're, all we're here is to help you guys at Maverick Sports Consulting. Mm-hmm. So between getting your film graded to have an unbiased opinion on where you will fall inside the draft, um, on draft boards, it's it's all for your benefit to know and make a smart business decision. And then once you've made the decision to enter into the draft, handle these business opportunities and these interviews the right way. Know how to follow up with them. Know how to communicate with them. Know how to use um, the proper language and stuff with them. These are the keys that will help you rise up the draft board in comparison to your other competition that isn't doing these steps.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. make sure to take advantage of that at mavericksportsconsulting.com. Danny throws it up there. appreciate it. keep grinding y'all. you, t- you too Danny, appreciate you brother. Thank you for the, the comment. If you want to throw anything else in more at the um, during the show. Please throw in any questions. We are here to please. We're going to move over to, to professional football now. Before we take on some questions from our mailbag section, we had another generable man, generable, general man, general, general manager, general. I don't. That's not a word. General manager out of a job this week, David. We saw Mr. Dave Caldwell now out of the Jacksonville Jaguars general manager position. Um, Trent bulky is taking over for him for the remainder of the season at, on an interim basis question here, though, Doug Marone, he survived. How does Doug, how does Doug Marone survive this? David, can you explain this to me?
1: Uh, this guy's got, I mean, he must have pictures on the, on the freaking owner somewhere, you know, doing something really, really I mean, I don't know how, I mean, Doug, If you look at the stats, Doug's got, I I mean, I think even over Patricia, he had worse stats on win losses um, in his coaching career. So this is a guy, I don't know how he keeps surviving at all. I have no idea uh, why he didn't get let go unless they felt there was nobody on the staff they could turn this team over to that was qualified to run the team, which also tells you about his staff. If he's, if he doesn't have anybody on the team, to turn it over to um, it's just unbelievable. I, I can't believe that Doug Marone has a job today. Uh, I, and I still can't believe Adam Gase has a job. I mean, that's like the biggest dumb f- founding. We're getting, these two, We're getting there.
3: We're getting uh, there.
1: I know, but these two having jobs today are like, so mind blowing to me. You want to talk about punching me in the face? Like how do these two men coaching, you know, professional football have jobs and, Think about it as a competitive strategy too. If you're the owner of these teams, how do you not make the move to now start the hunt early when other obviously the Falcons, the Houston Texans, the Detroit Lions are already on to hey, we got job openings, send your resume portion of this. Right? Hey, we got job openings, send your resumes in. Start start collecting the, you know, the candidates and everything. Let Marone go, let Gase go, let's go Jets, let's go Jags, let's get on the proper way of going forth into the offseason because you guys are going to be in the top five draft picks, if not in the top two.
3: Yep, yep, and we're going to get to Gase in a second. I think one thing that's going to be talked about, though, a little bit, and this is from a coaching perspective and a general manager perspective, David, so we can take it from either lens. Doug Marone's going to be out at some point for Jacksonville this year. I would would be very shocked if he was not. My question is, how attractive is the Jacksonville Jaguars job? Because right now they're sitting with the second overall selection. Justin Fields could be on the horizon, the Ohio State quarterback. They have a ton of cap room. For you, is Jacksonville a desirable job as a team builder and as a potential head coaching candidate?
1: You know, I heard – I think it was Rick this morning and the boys talking about this on the morning show. And I disagreed with them because I think Jacksonville is a very attractive landing spot for several reasons. First off, if you get the right, and again, it depends on hires, but if you get the right head coach and you get the right general manager in there, Jacksonville is a very nice city to live in. I mean, it's it's got some great environments like to raise kids in. It's good, it's good. It's in it's in, it's in Florida so there's no state income tax. I mean sure. there's there, there's some stuff that's very desirable. They have draft capital and they have cap room. And you know for for Rick this morning, he was saying they're going to have to overpay to get somebody to go there. And I'm like not really. If you get them if you get a good coach in there and you have a good general manager in there, you're not going to have to overpay to get people to go there because people will want to be part of the turnaround, want to be part of the up and coming team. They have some young players there. It's not a bare cover. It's not a it's not a deep covered, you know, but they have some players there to go be part of a nice young up and coming team. Like there's some there's some pieces there. So I think if you get the right general manager in there, he'll be attractive to the right coaching candidates, which then will be attractive to the right players to
3: want to go there.
1: It's all how you build the puzzle. And by setting the cornerstones correctly, if you're the owner, it, that's the key to all of it
3: yeah and, and so i completely agree and i'm more on it being a great destination if i was a general manager because i think that they have draft capital that they can use they're in a solid landing spot to get a franchise quarterback potentially with the second overall pick they have some cap room to throw around like even if you have to overpay a couple guys to come like you still have that you have that availability to do that if you so choose. Head coaching, I think they're. I think I think it's not a great roster. I think they have some pieces defensively. Josh Allen, Caleb on Chase on young guys. They have to just see what they have with Miles Jack, C.J. Henderson. Like there's some guys there, but there's a lot of holes offensively. Until you have a quarterback, that's the ultimate hole, right? They have a nice running back in James Robinson. The right tackle Jawan Taylor was a guy that I liked a lot coming out of Florida a couple of years ago. Like there's some pieces, but I think whoever that head coach is he better be sure that he has some stability there where he has time to turn it around. Because I don't think this is a quick fix in Jacksonville. I think it's a very it's interesting not, yeah. one. Yeah. I think it's very interesting yes. as a general manager. Like I could I could get a vision there, right? Like it's buying a new house and you could see it, right? Like you could see it in your vision, but it's not going to happen overnight. Like there's a lot of things that need to happen for it to get to that vision. But I think that there is a vision that can happen with Jacksonville. So as a team builder, I would be really excited about it personally.
1: Oh, I agree with you 100% because there's there's like again, when you're a gen, when you're a guy like me, and you, right? But for me, being 45 years old and been doing this 18 years, I've always said I wanted to go to a team that is was a winning team to learn how to do it. But ultimately, I want to take over a bad team. Like I want to take over a bad team and Let's see make what you can do point. with it.
3: Yeah, and, you
1: and the best part of taking over this bad team is they got cap space and draft capital. When you're walking in the door, there is no franchise quarterback that you got to work around and worry about cutting or, you know, you know, you can go in there and you got car blanche. You can cut anybody. Nobody is tied to that team. The owner doesn't have his heart set on keeping a certain player or not. You go in, you can bring the wrecking ball, knock out all the walls you want, take it down to the studs and rebuild it and really put your stick on the team. And also know if you can do it and put your, put your creativity to the test and your, your set to the test. So for me, I mean, I see it as a very attractive and there's no income tax in Florida. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, but you have to, again, part of being a general manager is being a, you know, being able to manage the expectations of people, being able to manage the conversations, right? So if you're interviewing with the owner, you have to be very honest with them and be like, listen, two years from now, we're going to be better. Three years from now, we're going to be way better. But it's that fourth year is what I'm going to anticipate us being fantastic. Yeah. You know, you give, because it's going to take this draft cycle is going to be a little interesting with COVID and everything. So we're going to do our best. We're going to make it happen. We're going to make the changes, no excuses. We're going to, we're going to find players, but it's really the second draft cycle, second year of free agency. You're going to see the the real impact going into that third year. And then ultimately in that fourth season, when we've had a chance to everybody, mature around this coaching staff mature around you know what we're trying to put together and get this culture turned around that's when you will see the end of the day you'll see it and as long as the owner is patient enough which he should be because he was super patient with caldwell you know he was he's been all, all so patient with marone i mean you would think this owner has the patience to have handle that kind of conversation and know that this is what what it is, and this is how he's going to handle it, and what's going to go. You know?
3: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think that the ownership there has definitely shown that they are patient, which I think is another good good sign for them to, moving forward there. So I, I think Jacksonville is a really nice um, destination potentially. I want to tell, I want to make a claim here, David. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a random one out here a little bit. So I'm right outside of Philly, as you know. Okay, everybody in their mother right now is blaming Carson Wentz for the Eagles' debacle, which is the season. And I will say this, David: you know I was a Carson Wentz supporter for a large portion of his career. He wasn't like my quarterback one the year he came out or anything, but I thought that he had a lot of tools to work with. Carson Wentz is a problem. Okay, he is absolutely a problem. But I'm going to say this, and I hope that all, all the Eagles fans will listening to me: Howie Roseman is just a big a problem as Carson Wentz, probably more. And I know he's a friend of NFL Draft Bible, so I'm not trying to slander him too much here. But he got lucky one season going into the 2017 season. He made stellar moves one offseason. Since then, it has been awful. It has been bad. He is holding on to that Super Bowl victory in 2017, overpaying what are now bad football players, what are bad football players. Jason Peters comes to mind immediately. Alshon Jeffrey comes to mind immediately. They oh. are bad. He deserves his He deserves his day of reckoning here. Okay. I'm not calling for his job, but there needs to be some heat on Howie Rosen right now. And Doug Peterson is also a guy that is not completely free of this. Week-to-week basis, I see some bad decision-making. Going for too early. Chasing points at the end. I can't stand that I, I, that's one of my biggest pet peeves in football right now. One of my absolute biggest pet peeves, chasing points early, going for two on your first drive. Often, often you miss the two-point conversion early on. If you're one of those coaches, it comes back to haunt you in the end, especially in an NFL that has such high parity that teams, like the best teams in the league, are obviously better than the worst teams in the league, but like it's not the parity that we once saw where like these dynasties were every left and right. The parity is much higher than it has ever been in the NFL. So I cannot stand coaches that chase points. Every week I see some terrible decision-making. He seems lost right now. All I'm saying here, David, and I know you're going to disagree with me, is Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson are just as big a problem in Philadelphia right now as is Carson Wentz.
1: I, I'm not going to disagree with you as hard as you think I am. But I when I was giving you the pump to break signs was on, Jason Peters has been a good player for Philadelphia for a long, long time. Like that, that guy. last two
3: or three years, he's he's done, I, man. He is okay,
1: done. Listen, okay, you, you, listen, young buck. Yeah, he's been holding on for a long time. But also think about this. If you're getting paid that kind of money, you would hold on to and play longer
3: and longer as
1: long as somebody was. Oh, I don't, that I don't blame him.
3: I don't blame yeah. those players for staying around. I blame the decision makers. Oh, no, I saying. agree.
1: I know. Listen. I am I am not a big fan of the construction of how they've constructed that team. And I don't believe that the the whole roster is inlaid with a ton of talent around it. I, You know, the backup situation is obviously affected by the salary cap of the frontliners. That's why we're doing the salary cap class on Friday to show people how that affects everybody awesome around it. Yeah, awesome it, 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 It's just like to show you guys, listen, when you're paying your frontliners this much, there's going to be a, a, a drop-off to your backliners, your second-tier guys, and it's going to be a talent thing. It's just the way it is because you... It, you can't pay them enough to get them to where you want them to be, as high as you want them to be. So, therefore, it's just going to be affected. So, you know, we're going to go through that Friday night. Come join us. Just buy the class for the night if you want or the season passes up to you. But I think it would be fun for anybody who's interested in learning these kind of moves and what affects them to come learn that night. That being said, the Eagles, of course, I've never been a Carson West fan. You can go back to when I he know. came out. I was I not a Carson Wentz fan, so I'm not, you know, it's just not who I am. Is he the sole reason they suck? No, not at all. That offensive line last night was not giving them any time whatsoever. Doug Marone doesn't look like he knows what which way is up. His play calling was sporadic. It was in and out. So, you know, the defensive coordinator dialed up a great game plan for them last night. They held the Eagles – or I'm sorry, they held the the Seahawks – you know, what, uh, 23 points or whatever it was. And yeah. and they could have probably held them to, you know, more uh, under more. They, they had a really good game, but I mean, their offense was going three and out and they were on the field a ton. So two fourth goal or fourth and yeah, fourth, fourth and goal uh, stands there. Right. So, I mean, Bennett came up big on those two plays. It was just, yeah, good defense. I'm going to give the defense its credit there, but the offense just looked just so, so awful there. And again, no, Howie shouldn't duck any of the blame. I mean, he obviously should take the, the, you know, the head head with steam, but I don't see Howie going anywhere. I don't see, you know, Doug going anywhere. I think they're going to be there, especially with all these. And here's the key. When you're doing the math, you already got three teams looking for, or three or f- four teams looking for general managers, three teams looking for head coaches. And we're talking about Jets and Jacksonville joining those ranks maybe for head coaches and we're hearing rumblings about the bears and maybe Vic Fangio out there in Denver. I don't know if you got that on the script for tonight, but I mean, think about this is Elway going to survive. If he fires Fangio, is, is he going to survive? How can Elway survive when that team is again, it, it's, it didn't manage its quarterback situation, right? So they had to play a game without a quarterback And that's partially on the the general manager, too, for not having a strategy to protect the organization and make sure they had a quarterback in a separate room so no matter what, they could make it happen and making sure the quarterbacks all were wearing masks in these meetings so this didn't happen. I mean, as a general manager, this is why I'm a big proponent of the general manager topping the org chart for organizations. you got to protect the organization. You can't just think about game-to-game. you got to think about long-term longevity of it and to me that was just a, a debacle by head coach and general manager not protecting the organization to make sure there was a healthy quarterback to take a rep and throw a pass in the game you played an nfl game without a quarterback
3: this is in high school like yeah. what are we doing
1: so i mean and i know you're john Wellway. i know you got a gold jacket and i know all those things but let's be honest without peyton manning john elway has not done crap Diddly shit at the at the team. (laughs) Crap, diddly shit. Yeah, he hasn't done a damn thing there. And (laughs) they won.
3: I like. I just liked how you phrased it. It was
1: fun. Yeah, crap, diddly shit. It rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? So and therefore you're just like, okay, this is awful. And yet we're going to keep him in control and, and keep him making the play calls and you know picking the next head coach. And what head coach number is this for him? I can't even keep up. You know what I mean?
3: Well no no and and that's what I was going to say was Fangio now is the guy that everyone's talking about like oh maybe he might be out in Denver and I I agree that it's a little ridiculous right like have we given him the the real opportunity here and he's not, again, had, he's not had a quarterback he doesn't have a quarterback
1: he still doesn't have a quarterback to 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 yeah. develop or to play with and no. then his offensive line is Swiss cheese You know he's got a couple pieces on defense, but again he's not coaching with a full array of people that he he's going through this year. Von Miller got hurt what week one, and 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 he was out, so it's not even like his defense has got all the teeth that it would have. But yet we're gonna we're not gonna talk about Elway's job. We're gonna talk about the coach,
3: you know. And it's 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 I mean I could argue, and this this is a direct reflection on Elway. I could argue that if all their quarterbacks had played during this game, this past game. They still don't have a quarterback. So it's it's bad and you're right, you know, he obviously, hey, he signed Peyton Manning. Wow, very revolutionary to sign a future Hall of Fame quarterback. Like that's awesome. That was a great signing obviously and it brought him a Super Bowl. But what has Elway really done as a general manager to get this long of a leash? I understand and this is the biggest point, right? David is like he's a legend there. Right, like he is Mr. Bronco. Are are they going to actually get rid of Mr. Bronco? Like this. This is how I feel about the Jim Harbaugh thing in Michigan. He's a Michigan man, right? They probably resign, resign, air quotes, right before they are let go. You know what I'm saying? And that's and that's a conversation again.
1: Ownership has with them, like, listen, let's do this the classy way. Now, I was with the team, 2000. three at the new york giants the ownership had a conversation with jim fossil and said hey jim we're gonna let you go at the end of the year Do you want to walk out the door now or you know coach it out and jim said no i want to coach it out four games to go i want to coach it out and they said okay you know we're gonna make the announcement though that we're letting you go at the end of the year." and that you're going to decide to coach it out. They put a nice press release together. The organization, Jim, everybody knew he was coaching out his last four games. To me, that's a classy way of doing this, where both people are very mature individuals. They come to the table. They have an honest conversation. Jim still put everything into the last four games, coached him out, you know, and then he, he walked out of the building, head held high, and the ownership didn't have to name an interim head coach. It was great. It was a good situation. We don't see that nowadays. We don't see these kind of relationships where owners and, and coaches can do this. And with a guy like Elway, you definitely should have that conversation. Like, listen, I think we need to make a whole culture change here at the end of the year. You and Vic are going to be out. We'll say you're moving on to other interests in life. Vic's just going to get fired. Okay? Everybody wins. Let's do it. You know? But, I mean, like you were saying with Howie, like Howie, I think he's bought himself another year. And with and like I was saying when you do the math, if they make the math, if if you got the four GMs already, say they make the GM switch up in uh Chicago, that's five GMs in one year. That will be a huge record, okay?
3: That's yeah, I was about to say that's like pretty not that's, tip, like that's not a typical thing, right? You like five in this offseason. You
1: no, know, four is a lot. Four a G four GMs is a lot of movement. But if you add if you add the Bears to it, and then if you were to add the Broncos to it, like that would be unheard of to see six or seven GMs in a year. You've seen five or six coaches in a year. Okay. We've seen coaches, but GMs in a year. That's just something that's been unheard of. So and again, people are looking at the Chargers. Like maybe the Chargers are gonna make changes with 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 uh, Lynn. They need,
3: they, need, they need to get Lynn out of there, man. All due well, respect, they need to get him out of there.
1: <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. It's like there is potential for seven or eight, which again, if you get to eight head coaches, that's a record. If you get to five or six GMs, that would be a record.
3: Eight, eight head coaches is, is 25% of the league, right? Like that's one out of four coaches out of a job in one season. That's insanity.
1: That's what I mean. Last year we didn't see any movement really. Right. And now this year we're seeing that we could see record movement in front offices and you know, for guys like you and I, that's, that's good. But but the people that are sitting in jobs right now, that's not so good. So it's, you know it's terrible to talk about it but again we're in a we're in a situation right now where people are underperforming in their jobs so bad so bad that these changes are are just lingering and looming i mean you got places like carolina that're talking about marty gm moving yeah. on and matt bringing in his own guy to to be there so that could be a GM switch out. I mean, there's – and look at what's happening in, in Washington. Washington's – I, I mean, they're going to bring in a guy and give him a personnel title or a GM title over there. So, again, you're going to see record movement this year in in the league on personnel sides of the ball and stuff. And, and you know, I know we kind of got off a tangent. We talked about – we were talking about the Eagles, but it just led <laughs> into this into this tangent where – I think people need to be aware that this is its going to be a fast moving January. And if you don't do the math to know where your guys lining up and how it's lining up, or maybe why a guy is keeping his job is because there's so many openings that owner didn't want to get into a bidding war for a guy or something this year, where if they wait one more year, it might not be a good season next year, but if they wait one more year, then they can, you know, they might be one of two jobs open or one of three jobs open, which will give them a situation to get a better price on a guy because, uh, you know, now supply is not out there and demand is is sitting there. So, I, and, and again, these are business decisions. Fans don't like business decisions. They like emotional decisions. But like we've said this whole show, you got to start thinking of how to make your business decision and why they make the business decision. Is This year, too many players might be out there trying to find GMs which will drive the cost up on it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, again, mass exodus potentially on a lot of head coaches. Matt Nagy is a guy that David talked about. Anthony Lynn, is he going to be out of a job soon here? Mike McCarthy, is he going to be one and done in Dallas? Like, there's a lot of questions there, I think, too. Mm -hmm. GM jobs opening up. We're going to see a quarterback exodus, too, right, very soon because Drew Brees is out. There's a lot of a lot of quarterback positions like Chicago's gonna have to figure something out here soon. The Jets look like they're moving on from Sam Darnold. There's gonna be a lot of questions at the most important spots in, in building a team, right? Talking about from a decision maker, general manager, head mm-hmm. coach, and then also the the most important position in all of sports, not just in football, the quarterback position. So I think there's gonna be a lot of new faces in some very important positions. My question here, David, and we're going to move on to the, the quick questions after this because we're running a little bit over time like we always do. I always it's, do, it's yeah. A, it's a thing, so who cares? Um, so let's uh, – I want to talk about the Jets for a second. We're talking about Adam Gase being out. I like Joe Douglas, so I want to put this mm-hmm. out on the record. because I put this out on this record before, right? When he was with the Eagles, I like Joe Douglas, and then he went with the Jets, and I thought his first drafts, like, Macai guy Becton's probably going to be an all-pro this year. Um, the wide receiver they took, Denzel Mims out of Baylor, is really coming on. They have some good pieces in that draft this past year in Joe Douglas's first year. It, it seems, though, that he is a little too tightly attached to the hip to Adam Gase, who might be coming out this year. So, my question is and it seems, I feel like I see this more now than I ever have. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like head coaches and GMs out at the same time. I feel like it was never quite this conjoined. One, is Joe Douglas going to cost himself the job here because he's attaching himself too close to Adam Gase? And is this an morality that I'm seeing that both these positions are out in the same offseason, or am I just a little nearsighted on that?
1: No. Here, here's the problem organizations are running into by giving the coaches their ability to name their own personnel guy, their own general manager. They're devaluing the general manager position, which is, again, I came in under Ernie Acorsi, right? And Ernie Acorsi and, and Rick Spielman is where I learned this model. If you have the right general manager, their focus is the organization at all times. So often you hire the general manager, then the coach. Where a lot of this has gone astray is everybody thinks everybody could be Bill Belichick. Nobody is Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is a one individual who handles and can do this kind of job. Okay. That's all being said. Why they're out at the same time is because often the coach brought in the general manager, so now now the next coaching candidate wants to bring in their general manager. So they're treating them like an assistant coach kind of position where they, they're not you know, they're not being focus on let's get the right general manager once we have the right general manager then we'll let them name the head coach and often what you like to do is put the general manager through the screws of a very deep interview process and know you got the right guy there and give him a five-year contract and then a coach a three-year contract but now with put people like you know uh Shanahan and the guy in uh, Carolina getting six and seven year deals as coaches Matt rule Matt Rule, Thank you. Uh, Six and seven year deals. Now, if you go hire a general manager at a seven year deal and you got a head coach at a seven year deal and after three or four years, you don't like what you've got. That's a lot of money on the back end. You're paying out that to let them go. Now I know the NFL is a billion dollar business and they make a lot of money. But think about that as a decision-making. When you see these coaches getting seven-year deals, or like Gruden. I think Gruden would have got a 10-year deal at $10 million a year or something like that. So it's like you got so much money invested in this coach. Now you got to let him have his own personnel person because you've you've over-invested in the coaching. But – and then – good coaching candidates know that there, there are opportunities out there to get a six-year deal. So if you're going into my model where you're, the GM gets a five-year deal, the coach gets a three-year deal, the top coaching candidates aren't going to want to come because like ah, like, I don't want the opportunity. I'll stay as a coordinator because next year I might get the six-year deal. You know what I mean? So it's become very convoluted, and and to me, it's gotten out of whack, and it's got to be reined back in. And this year, you again, with six or seven GMs, coming available, at least four or five, um, you might see it get reined in where general manager candidates get hired first and then they go and hire the coaches. And again, coaches won't be getting six-year deals. Um, That's just my feeling. Um, And like you were saying, though, Ryan, it's like, why are they out at the same time? It's because the coaches with their salaries have commanded so much power now over the football operations department um, that they're tied together and the new coach doesn't want to work with the guy um, that's already in there.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of layers to that conversation as well, which is why we're now an hour and 17 minutes into the conversation tonight. We appreciate everybody that's still with us tonight. We want to go through a few of our mailbag questions real quick. We want to try to finish this up maybe in like five minutes, see what happens, you know. we we'll see what happens, yeah. David, first question we have from Draft guy Jimmy on Twitter. He asked, Specialist, to draft or not
1: to draft to draft. Obviously you, you know, you want to draft a good kicker. You want to draft a good punter. Um, if you lock, like if you lock up the core special teamers, kickers, punters, long snappers, and you can have them for four to five years guaranteed. Like you got solid ones or like I, when I was in Oakland, I was spoiled. I mean, we had them locked up with condo as a long snapper. um, jano and and shane leckler and we didn't have to worry about those positions so i mean it makes that whole third of the team better just by having those key three players now you don't want to overdraft them in my mind you know i don't have first round grades on kickers i don't think punters (laughs) are third round choices um but again if you find a guy and you value him, and you and you can get that value where you want it and everything it's it's It is a good thing to invest in. It really is, because it it's. I don't want to say they're like left tackles or not, but they're very important to that that whole third of the game.
3: So, so you don't agree with the uh, Raiders taking Janikowski in the first round out of Florida State? Then is that what you're saying to me, David?
1: That was a hard one (laughs) for me to value. You know, that was a hard one. But again, he was a good one. So, you know, he definitely. He earned, he earned his money and everything. So, you know, but again, I would have probably, I mean, a guy like Jano, you could possibly take him in the late part of the second round and, and say the value was there. But taking him in the late part of the first round, uh, I just don't know. Probably the strongest
3: leg I've ever seen, to be fair. So I'll, oh, yeah. I'll, give, him, I'll, yeah. I'll give him some credit there. And Raiders just love taking first-round specialists. You know, Ray Guy was a first-round pick also was, back yeah. in the day. So it's just the Raiders thing, I guess. Whatever. Fine. That's cool. Um, here's a good question. We actually had a couple of people that asked about the Sam Darnold situation. This was going to the pay dirt profile podcast. Thank you so much for submitting the question. Uh, I'm only going to take a little part of it just because we're running out of time here. Sam Darnold. Let's talk about, cause it seems like he's out in New York because Hey, it looks like Trevor Lawrence era is about to begin in New York for the jets. Sam Darnold. What's the best situation for him to fall into what's the best team outlook if he could choose a franchise to play for that could most um maximize 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 (laughs) maximize his ability for me i think the colts man i love that fit him with frank reich like i love it i think that that makes so much sense i really do I was a Darnold guy, though. I'm going to be very honest. I was maybe a little too high on Darnold, it seems like, for me. But, you know, obviously quarterback is um, – it's like every position, right? Situation dictates success in that situation. Uh, landed with the Jets was not the most advantageous start to his career. But something about More that – has
1: it been for any quarterback ever.
3: Right. Browns, Jets, like what? what who's winning in those situations? So, it, for me – I think the Colts, man. Like I love that fit. I just really do. I-, I think it makes a lot of sense. I
1: think that's a great fit. Like that's a stable organization, good offensive line, committed to the run game, play-action passes is something Sam did really well in college. Um, you know, I think that's a I, that'd be a dream for Sam Donald if that happened. I think it would be a freaking a dream for Sam Donald. Now, other teams that would fit for Sam to me are teams that you know think about the Niners. He fits in Shanahan's scheme really well, and again, the Niners would be a team that he would fit really well in. Um, They're not overly committed to Jimmy G. You got to see—I know everybody's starting to out here on the West are starting to rumbles about uh, Matt Ryan coming out to you know San Francisco because of their history together. But Sam Donald would fit in Shanahan's system. He would fit the scheme really well. You know, I think your choice of the the Colts is the ideal first, like number one choice for Sam. Like, yeah, let's go. But outside of that choice, if if you don't go to like a team like the Niners, right, you go to a team like Jacksonville or the bears or somewhere else. that's going to be rebuilding from the get go. And from the scratch, you're going to take a lot of heat because you're the quarterback and they're rebuilding from the ground up. It's a tear down and rebuild. So that's going to be hard. You got to have a really thick layer of skin. If he goes to the Colts, or if he goes to the Niners, those are places where they're not complete rebuilds. You're a piece to their puzzle that actually they need, and it would fit and work well. And like you said, you go to Denver. Denver's a bit of a of a as re, a rebuild, but they need a quarterback. You know, Bears need a quarterback. So you know, those are teams that definitely need quarterbacks.
3: I'll, I'll give you another one maybe might have to sit on the bench for a year Steelers.
1: I think the Steelers would be a good. He's not a vertical passing guy. I don't like that, man. Oh, he's got
3: a man. He could, he could push the ball. Hey, Big Ben has really changed his game this year. He's not pushing the ball downfield at all this season.
1: I know, but I think ultimately the Steelers want to get back to Steeler ball. And I think they'll go for a stronger arm quarterback you know, to put that year of development in. I like Sam. Sam Don't fling I just, I fling think
3: Sam- it's Sammy Darnold. Come on, man. No,
1: I can't, I can't support that one. You, you hit it out of the park with the Colts one, but I can't support the Steeler one. I can't do that.
3: Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. David agrees with me most of the time. And he's a smart man. Now it's, it's not <laughs> so much. It's fine. It's good. All right. We have, um, Oh, some questions here. Let's just oh. get to maybe one or two more. Um, there's been a there's been a big thing on Twitter recently where a lot of people are so David I, I don't know how for, uh, firmly you've been following along with this. So Penny Soul, the offensive tackle at Oregon, he chose to opt out before the season as well. He was another one of those guys. And I'll be very honest, David. He played last year as a true sophomore at 19 years old. He's only going to be 20 years old when he's drafted. This kid is phenomenal. I'm telling you. It, Probably the best offensive tackle that I've evaluated. No hyperbole intended. Excellent. 6'5, plus, 325, long arms, super athletic. He's got that Samoan strength to a man. Like, there is so much to like. I saw a comparison to Anthony Munoz. I hate comparing guys to future uh, to Hall of Fame players. So, I, you know, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. But, like, when you look at him just from a physical perspective, like, It makes a lot of sense, man. Like, there's a lot there, and now there's a big push that people are saying NFL might not like him as much as as um, the general media or draft Twitter likes. Okay, so that makes sense. I'm going to put that makes sense, right? Well, I'm going to push back on this one because I think that the NFL does like him, and I think that I love the kid. I would draft him top three overall if I you know, was in an okay standing quarterback-wise, that would be the first non-quarterback off the board for me. Over Micah Parsons, even though I love Michael Parsons, that would be my guy. Now the question here is, who's the best offensive tackle, best offensive lineman drafted after pan And this is going to be our last question for tonight because we don't have a, a ton of time left. My <laughs> guy would be, so offensive guards, centers, Usually get pushed down a little bit. Centers not as much as offensive guards. They usually fall a little bit. Offensive tackles rise. So I'm going to say the second offensive tackle off the board is going to be Samuel Cosme from Texas who just opted out. We talked about him a little earlier in the show. He is all of 6'5 plus, long arms, super athletic. He wears his weight so well. There is like not an ounce of fat on this guy at 300 plus pounds. He can even he has a lot of room to grow, too. He can easily hold about 315, 320 with zero problem. Really athletic. Anchor was the question. His lower body strength going into the year because he was a super athletic kid. Did he have the lower body strength to counteract some of these speed to power converters? This year, it's been so much better, man. In space, this kid is incredibly fluid. I think NFL teams are going to fall in love with this type of upside because he's a true left tackle. The 2021 NFL Draft Offensive Tackle Class is heavy. It's very deep in terms of right tackles at the next level. Outside of A Sewell and a couple others, there's not a ton of projectable left tackles in the class. I think Samuel Cosby has a chance to be that second guy off the board. I also think Christian Derisaw, the left tackle from Virginia Tech, has a chance to because he's also a special tackle. To throwing it back to some some um some legends at their schools, right? Virginia Tech had a young man that came out about twelve years ago now, I believe, Dwayne Brown, left tackle. There's a lot of Dwayne Brown to Christian Derisaw's game. I'm not again, not trying to compare him to the success. Like I'm not predicting his success there. I'm just saying when you look at them from a physical perspective, there's something there comparison wise, and that's an easy comparison to make because he played at his school. At Virginia Tech, he was a Hokie. Like, that's an easy one. But I don't think it's lazy because I think that there is some validity to that comparison. So Samuel Cosby or Christian Darisol, we might pick for the next offensive lineman off the board after Penn A's Soul. Now, we have gone a hu- an hour, I almost said almost 127 minutes, an hour and 27 minutes into this. We want to thank you all because we still got people in the chat. We still got people in the live with us. We appreciate you all so much for riding out with us today. This was a fun show, if I must say so myself. It was more free-flowing. We got to a lot of topics. We went off on some tangents because I felt like it was the one of the best conversations I've ever had with David Turner. So, David, before I do my little outro to end this here, my friends, this was fucking awesome. Sorry. Whoa. Go no. to <laughs> the swear jar. This was a whole lot of fun. You want to leave us with a final thought, something to think about. Whatever you want, my friend, the floor is yours.
1: I just want to say thanks, Ryan. I mean, I I love doing the show with you each and every week. And like the times when we don't have guests and it's just you and I talking ball, it's so enjoyable. And we do often. These are our longest shows because it's just two guys who, you know, we have differs in opinion a lot. But what's good is to bring that to the audience so they can see what professionals inside the buildings are actually talking about. You know, we're not always lined up 100 percent the same. And these are the discussions behind the scenes that people don't get to see. And these are the discussions that people should get to know about and hear that, you know, the opinions aren't going to line up all the same way in any building, in any room. and, And therefore, that's why it's so different when decisions are made. But this is what we're going through in this day and age and with college football and pro football and everything is that, you know, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty and adversity coming our way uh, through this offseason and getting into the draft cycle. And in the next six, seven weeks, there's going to be teams with new general managers, new head coaches, new quarterbacks. It's going to be a very uh, turbulent off season that we're about to experience in, in college sports and in pro sports. Um, I think there's going to be teams like Michigan, like Penn state changing over coaches, um, and, and, you know, making switches. So, you know, strap it on, put your chin strap on tight because it's about to get very turbulent here in uh, both pro and college sports.
3: Well, we should be thankful. Cause we're going to have plenty of to talk about in the coming weeks to say the least a couple coming months can't wait a lot of good stuff all along the horizon if you're talking for maverick sports consulting obviously david has a lot of great things happening over there with the company friday night scout school maverick sports take we have so much great content and great talking points to discuss with you all also NFL draft bible where i'm the director of scouting we have a big announcement that's coming out hopefully in the next couple of days I've been so excited for the last few weeks. Wanted to put it out there. Unfortunately, I am not allowed at the moment. But we appreciate you all for coming along with this ride again. Make sure you like, share, and follow us. Give us a rating. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. You can find this on any podcast platform that you choose, that you use. You could also follow us on Twitter at Rise and Drift, at Mav underscore sports, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thank you all so much for joining us again tonight. We'll catch you next week, same time, same place, on Maverick Sports. Day.
2: Thanks for listening to another episode of Mav Sports Take. Connect with us on social media, share your thoughts on today's episode, and tell us what we should take on next time on Mav Sports Take. Want more from our hosts, David and Ryan? Visit mavericksportsconsulting.com and learn how we can help you take the next step in your sports career. Until next time, this is Mav Sports Take.